everybody. Welcome to Beyond the Scrum. This is Mark Kerrig. I'm a senior writer at The Athletic, and I'm joined, of course, uh, with my co-host, Andy McCullough, also a senior writer at The Athletic. What's up, Andy? Hey, Mark. How you doing, man? Doing all right. Doing all right. We're going to go a little old school this week. It's just Andy and I having a conversation. And I guess there's two things to talk about this week, Andy, and I'd like to hear your take on which one we should focus on. There's A, the Kabuki Theater, that is the labor negotiations in baseball, which are a total waste of time and a farce. Or B, we can talk about the bigger issue that seems to be plaguing the country right now, uh, this reckoning with systemic racism and how that applies to what we do for a living. So Andy, which one would you like to key on this week? You know, Mark, I, I uh, let me take some time to think about it. Uh, you know, I think it would be really worthwhile to get deep into the weeds on uh, sort of the millionaires and billionaires fighting over our money. <laughs> no, that's that's a that's obviously a uh, that's not exactly how I feel about this labor dispute. But yeah, I I think for uh, a variety of reasons uh, that uh, we talk, spoke about a little bit on podcast earlier this week with Pedro Mora about the Dodgers, I would, um, you know, I think we should be talking uh, about issues that are of greater importance than the labor fight right now. So take it away, Mark. Well, I don't know, man. Like what I think. We are clearly at a place where we're having to face some truths that aren't easy to face. And I'm just curious, right? Like for the, in the interest of spurring discussion here, Andy, I mean, you're someone with a totally different lens on this than I am, obviously. I'm just wondering what's, what's it looking like from your side of this, your, your vantage point? What, what have been the things that have come to mind over, you know, really the last week, 10 days? Well, I think it's unearthing some, uh, you know, obvious and uncomfortable truths that folks like you and I and a lot of folks around us had been aware of and just kind of uh, ignored. And I think, you know, speaking for myself, like I'm a uh, you know, a white guy born into incredible privilege, and uh, I like to think that I have the right opinions on things, etc. But um, that's not really sufficient anymore, I think, and that's something that uh, I personally have been grappling with um, for a long time. Uh, it's not something I really grapple with publicly because I'm a reporter, and uh, you know, I cover baseball, and so uh, I've been you know, dealing with that more, uh, in my, um, you know, just when I'm off the clock per se, but, uh, I think that the on the clock and off the clock ideas of, um, you know, just being someone with a platform in 2020 are starting to change a little bit. Um, you know, I think back to, um, I mean, we had Levi Weaver on the show a couple weeks ago and, um, he talked, you know, sort of about his own personal journey. And one of those things was about going to Ferguson and, um, you know, dealing with the, you know, or being aware and, uh, you know, taking parts in some of the protests there and learning and being a part of that community. And it was in a podcast about baseball. And after the episode wrapped, we decided to cut it. And I think the reason we decided is because, look, people come here to um, listen to us talk about baseball. And, you know, it, it would be kind of, uh, you know, we could get yelled at by someone, if, you know, for saying, you know, stick to sports. And, you know, this is a sports podcast. Let's stick to sports. And um, I think, you know, 
I understand why we made that decision. We all agreed that it was, you know, what we were going to do. But I think too often in recent years, people in our industry have been doing things like that and looking away from uncomfortable truths. And so I'm hopeful that in this moment we stop looking away and stop looking away uh, publicly. You know, I think, I mean, you know, <laughs> you and I are on a, uh, a text chain, Mark, you're, you're very aware of what my politics are and how I feel about these things, but they're also not things we really talk about, you know, when, uh, when we are uh, at work, I guess. And, and I, I, I found myself just grappling with whether that's the right approach. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but I, I am encouraged that the folks at the athletic and, and at other outlets are, taking making more of an effort to amplify voices of black writers and black journalists who can speak to their experiences and i've been really proud of uh to be a part of an outlet that has um you know published so much i think illuminating work in the past week but you know that that's i think triumphalism is also a bad stance to take and it's you know there's a lot of work ahead um so that was a jumbled sort of uh, answer mark but that's kind of where my head is at I think with a lot of these things so I, I so for the sake of, of putting it out there if you don't know either of us and Andy's discussed his background I'm, I'm a Filipino American um, I grew up in the Bay Area I'm the son of immigrants um, and so when I walk into the press box there aren't very many people that fit that demo when Andy walks into the press box as you described right like this is accurate. Wouldn't you say, Andy, like pretty much all of the people in there fit your demo. Is that, is that fair to say? White guys who went to Syracuse? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, 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 hey. That, don't, that, let's not oversell. Like, there's a lot of diversity. There's white guys that went to Northwestern. You got white yep, guys yep. that went to Missouri. White, got... guys, white guys that went to Michigan. No, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know what? Yep. And, and, white you know, guys and, who got grad degrees at Columbia. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and by the way, like right there, I just did something that I've been trying not to do. Because I, I feel like with a lot of... What, what's been interesting to me during this period is I think you're, if you're looking to be better, you're trying to challenge yourself to be better. And that's one thing where I need to be better, all right? I think race is difficult to talk about. Making jokes that make it even harder to talk about is counterproductive, even if they're jokes. So like, yeah. uh, let, let me rewind the tape. But what I was getting at, Andy, is have you ever, when you've come to work, looked around you and wondered why that was? And I'm curious, what have been some of the theories in your mind? Because I, I, I say this because I had a conversation with one of our colleagues, one of the many I've had over these these days, which I'm so grateful for. But this was a talking point that he had brought up. And I was just curious, like, did that ever enter your mind when you looked around and said, wait a minute, a lot of people in here kind of come from the same place and have a very similar background and look the same. Did it ever occur to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But it didn't start occurring to me until, you know, four or five years in the business, I guess. Um, because I think, you know, uh, when you're 22, 23, you're not spending a lot of time, um, thinking about bigger picture structural issues. You're more just worried about yourself and your own problems and your own issues and your own competence. And I think 
once I was uh, a little bit more secure, uh, I, you know, it became pretty obvious to me that, you know, um, that that there was a an like a a, a very clear homogeneity uh, in the press box, but that's something that I noticed after being in it for you know years and years. It wasn't something that I ever really thought about critically until you know I was in my you know mid to late twenties, and I and I would imagine from your perspective, it's something you maybe noticed right away. But I I, I also I'm curious. I mean, what what was your relationship with that sort of um, you know, realization. Uh, yeah, it was from day one. Yeah. And, right. and it's stayed with me every single day ever since. And, you know, I'm reminded of it, frankly. And I think, yeah, you know, through all of this, the one there's, there's only one really distressing thing to me. I mean, look, there's a lot of, okay. There's a lot of things that are distressing about all of this. The one that I feel like maybe encompasses and covers all of those the most is this idea of systemic racism and either a lack of acknowledgement of it because you simply don't want to, or just an outright aggressive denial of it, yeah. which I, I find very hard to grasp because there's overwhelming evidence that it exists. Um, in fact, in my view, that is like questioning whether the earth is round at this point. Right. Um, right. But I have to remember that that is not a universal truth, even though it should be, that, that, that the, the existence of systemic racism. And so it's, it's tough. Like, I, I feel like there was a lot of times at work um, where I felt these things and really couldn't verbalize it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a term for it. Like, it, it's almost like when you hear folks talk about mental illness retroactively, or right. like a period earlier in their lives, like especially older people, which I find so compelling. They'll, they'll be, you know, I felt these things and whatever, and I didn't realize until years later that it was called depression, right, as an example. Right. So, right. so right. that's what I feel like. Yeah. This, this week has amplified that. And I, I'm going to tell a story that, you know, Andy and I, if you guys don't know, like we are really close. I think over the, over the time of the visit, we've grown close for a lot of reasons. And I don't think I've ever even told you this story. All right. Okay. And, and I want to tell it not to solicit, oh, that's awful or whatever. I just want it particularly for people who might be on the fence about systemic racism, what that means and whether it exists. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I was the president of the New York chapter of the Baseball Writers Association. And one of the things you get to do in that job is host that dinner, the writer's dinner that they've been doing for 90 plus years in New York City. And you are now on a dais and it is like the best players in baseball. It's Hall of Famers. It's every big deal you can think of. It's basically what Cooperstown is like in the middle of summer, except in the dead of winter in New York City. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really amazing honor. And so, you, you know, you're in a tuxedo, you're in this fancy room, you got all these people there. Um, you know, and you host the dinner, basically. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, there's a lot of times when you're doing the work, you don't really stop and think about how cool it is, what it, you know, what you're doing. But right. that was one of those nights where it's like, man, uh, I, the overwhelming thought that whole night was like, you know, Babe Ruth was in this room once, right? Like, doing this dinner, and Mickey Mantle right. was doing this dinner. Like, and, and it's like, how in the hell did I end up here? And not just here, right. but hosting the damn thing. Like, it was really like, 
awesome and mm. so like professionally satisfying and 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 humbling and and so anyway during the dinner you know usually like you pause to eat and and so what i would do during those two years i hosted the dinners i'd go up and down the dais just to shake hands and thank these people for coming right mm-hmm. like it's just because it is like uh, there's some people that don't have to be there they come anyway it's it's so cool it's such an old school thing that happens in baseball and it's very special so going up and down the line i get to a guy that i know he's a manager mm-hmm. um and anyway like uh white guy and i won't name him because that's not the point here cuz I, I i don't you know anyway I'm going to go reach over to shake his hand, and I, I can see that he can only see this figure out of the corner of his eye. Oh, and before I can reach over, he put oh, his boy. hand over his plate and said, "I'm good on bread." Ooh. So now, 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 let me let me emphasize this. Yeah. I, do I think that guy's a racist? Absolutely not. Not in any right. way, shape, or form. In fact, I know that because, like I said, I know this guy. I've had interactions with this guy. Okay, so. I bring that story up because while I do not think that that man is a racist, I do think, and this applies to all of us, that we have been brought up on a culture in which that is embedded. Okay, of course. His, I, mean, of course. I know it's, yeah. but right. But see, that's yeah. the thing, Andy, and this is what I've learned over the last week, yeah. is that to be able to see that, you've got to be able to separate individual experience from group dynamic. And right. that is so difficult because a lot right. of people, and I tell right. that story, go, that racist piece of shit. And you know what? He's not. That's right. not it. This is not an individual thing. What he is is a product of a racist, like racism embedded in our culture. So, so yeah. when he sees a brown figure Right. That and let's be honest. In the statistics show you last time you went to a restaurant, the person that waited on you might have looked like me. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good chance that they did. So these these images, these thoughts, they're embedded in us. Like they they you little bit by bit conditioning that starts so young. So that is what this fellow is a product of. That's what all of us are a product of, and that is mm-hmm. how you end up with. The guy hosting the dinner being mistaken for the guy serving people at the dinner. Right. Yeah, I I think um, yeah, it's a tough act to follow, Mark. That's a that's a pretty deflating story, but it's also incredibly common. And um, I th- I think one of the challenges for white people that I feel like is something that I'm I am hopeful people are going to start acknowledging is just understanding what privilege is, what privilege means and not being so insecure as to accept that. I think that in order to have an honest conversation about systematic inequality and systematic racism uh, or systemic racism, depending on your perspective, we don't really need to get into the semantical argument about that. But um, I think in order to have those honest conversations, you know, people need to understand that acknowledging white 
privilege isn't an acknowledge that you're a racist or isn't acknowledge that you have prejudicial beliefs or anything like that. It's just understanding that you were born into a world where you had a leg up and you did nothing to deserve it. And that's just a real difficult thing for, you know, frankly, for, I feel like for a lot of people to reconcile with because everyone wants to view themselves as the underdog. No one wants to, you know, view anything that they have in their life as something that was given rather than earned. And, you know, I'm hopeful that more honest conversations about this will allow for the, you know, the slow march of progress. But I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's all I can really offer because this isn't my lived experience, man. I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate. You know, I, I've, never really had to want for anything in my life. I mean, you know, I, I, I haven't had a, a, a lot of, uh, frankly, challenges, you know, professionally or things like that. You know, I, I was got into a good school and was able to pay for it, you know, through like, you know, scholarships and, 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 you know, uh, financial aid and stuff and, and, uh, you know, have had a pretty smooth, sailing professionally and so I don't have a you know a, a ton to offer outside of just listening you know I'd be I would be way more interested to hear your perspective on this sort of stuff than than mine but I also I mean maybe that's wrong maybe that's maybe that's what white people have been doing for too long I I, I don't know I mean I, I don't know what the answer is but I know that I would like to feel like I'm doing more and to actually do more you know dude I, I mean so here's like my take on it is and someone who doesn't know the answers obviously but I think there's a couple of conclusions that I've come to and and one of them is um this is a fight that's shared by everyone um and it doesn't matter what your experiences are and and I think one of the things that allows systemic racism to flourish is that it's insidious in how it hides in plain sight. And it hides in plain yeah. sight by the fact that as people that grew up in this country, we are taught to value individualism. The individual yeah. is yeah. king. And, and, and by the yep. way, you and I work in the world of sports. There is nowhere that is more amplified than here. Mm-hmm. Like literally the frame that we see all these athletes through is that guy worked hard. That's why he's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every single thing that we write is framed that way. Mm-hmm. And the reckoning in sports, and I think it's why we're seeing such a difficult time processing it, is that to really understand this, you've got to reject that for a second. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not about experience or whatever. It is understanding that all of us, every last one of us that grew up here, um, has been touched by this system and it has left us in a, in a certain way that wasn't even necessarily in our control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, and it just, it just, it's that much more complicated in sports because from, you know, this is, I think a lot of people can share this. Like when you see what happens when you, when you have a national trauma like this, I think for a lot of people, mm-hmm. that's an invitation for you to turn around and start learning. And so for me, it was reading. Mm-hmm. And 
And through that reading, that is really the most salient thing I can think of is that for a second, we need to turn off our idea of being individuals and start to think about this as a group. And because, mm-hmm. for instance, right, like, and this, this blew my mind. I, I read a book, it's called White Fragility. And it, you know, the author makes it clear that the target group is white people to read this. But I wanted to read yeah. it because I want to understand, right? Like, this is not just one set of people, one particular, like, it's all of us need to understand. And mm-hmm. so what I did not respect or did not grasp was that every time you bring up an idea like systemic racism and you do it in a context in which we all think as individuals, it is so easy for an individual to feel like they're under attack. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, So what I'm saying is like, and yeah, you, maybe the challenges you faced are different than others. That doesn't mean you didn't face any. And it doesn't mean oh. you didn't work hard. It doesn't mean... It, what, yeah, what I'm saying... Well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe you're, the, you're not a good example, but other people... Yeah. But like my point is like it, it's there are I white people see, who have worked hard. I'm not one of them. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So there are yes. There you go. Like, but that's what I feel like gets yeah. lost in this. And and well, we're it's seeing it's, it today. it's it's insecurity. It's insecurity. It's 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 a it's a you know people want to project a sort of um, you know veneer of um, you know strength, I guess. And um, but yeah, I mean, I th- you're right. People feel under attack if you bring up you know, the systematic advantages that, you know, frankly, white people have in this country. And so um, I, I, I'm curious from from your perspective, how you see this manifest in the coverage, uh, specifically of baseball. Oh, I mean, Jesus. Does, does it... <laughs> <laughs> well, here, I'll I'll uh, I'll offer my I'll I'll offer my sort of um, perspective on it. Um you know, in um, in baseball, this this cuts a lot of different ways because um, you know it's a very diverse sport in terms of the talent base. You know, specifically uh, Latino ball players, um, and I can say assuredly, I have not done nearly as good a job as covering Latino players as I have uh, covering white players. I I don't think there's any reason to try and debate otherwise. It's something that I've made an effort at, but have um, you know, just not done a great job with. Um, but I also think about the times when I have covered, you know, uh, when I've covered, uh, black players and there've been issues like this going on, whether it was, um, you know, Ferguson, I mean, there's so many just sort of, uh, horrors that have occurred in the recent years. And, and I've tried to sort of get, the people I cover to open up about it and whether it's because they weren't interested in talking to me or because I was asking the questions wrong or because that the climate didn't feel reasonable for them to speak out in. Um, you know, I feel like their voices really weren't heard and I wasn't really able to, you know, write stories that explain their perspective. And, And maybe that's something that isn't really, my, you know, isn't something I'll ever be able to do. And maybe that's, maybe it's, you know, paternalistic to think that as the white reporter, I'm here to explain how these guys feel, but also, you know, like, look, our job is to, to talk to guys and write stories about what they think. Um, and I know that I have failed at that in my career. And it's something that always frustrates me. And it's something that I've tried to improve upon. And, um, I don't have like a prescription for it, but I can say that I feel it 
you know, acutely that in, in the times where I have tried to just kind of talk to guys, frankly about it, they haven't felt comfortable talking with me about it. And, um, you know, I wish that wasn't the case, but I also, you know, view that as, um, something that I need to, to, you know, to figure out how to do better because I think it's going to be more and more important, you know, in order to just write about the sport, to have people speak openly about what they feel about, you know, non baseball issues, you know? And so like, and this is like, I'm glad, first of all, it's a super eloquent answer and an answer again, that revolves around individualism. Like you put that entire onus on you, which is admirable. But when I look at it, I'm thinking, why is it that Andy McCullough is like the standard reporter? Like if you had to pick like, you know, the look and age group and income level growing up and all that, it would be you. So like, and we would agree that if it were a little more reflective of the players, right, that it would be better for everyone involved. So then to me, the question has become not what is it necessarily an individual can do, but what about the system can be altered to help it so that, you know, the people in the press box relaying these stories are more reflective of the players that are being covered. Okay. And so it's, I don't know, man, like it's, yeah, it's good to have individual thoughts about what one can do. Um, I think hopefully in my view, moving forward after this, we start to look at the system. We start to look at why is it the press press box looks the way that it does, because it does have, yeah, an impact on the coverage. And so, uh, you know, let's just cut the bullshit. Every time Robinson Cano jogged to first base, it was a, a freaking national disaster. Right. right. Nick Swisher does it, no one notices. Right. So, and like that is not a slight on Nick Swisher, because guess what? Freaking a lot of these guys don't run it out. Yeah, because there's really nothing wrong with jogging to first base sometimes. Right. Yeah. It's 160. Yeah, they're yeah. human beings, the buck 62. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even that stupid ass, like, <clears throat> way in which we, this eyewash way in which we judge hustle and caring, it's such right. bullshit. And it is that, that in itself is a reflection of how we grow up in this system. Like, really, right. that's your shorthand for deciding whether someone, quote, unquote, wants it? Are they gritty enough? Right. Like, get the hell out of here. Like, really? So uh, the premise of the question you asked earlier, how does this get reflected in how we cover sports? Holy shit. Like, there isn't enough time in the world to list the examples <laughs> there. There isn't. Yeah. There is not. Right. I mean, right. And, and sports talk radio? Holy shit. Okay? Yeah. Like, that entire framework is based on the things that we're talking about. So right. there's so much work to be done, and, and it's great that like individual actors are going to be, are, you want to be conscientious. I think that's awesome. To me, though, the mm-hmm. real progress just becomes in, all right, again, removing the onus on individuals exclusively, how sure. do you change the system? How do you yeah. make a press box accessible? Because let me tell you something, like, I'm not sure that I could replicate my path to get here. Like, yeah. if you made me walk it a hundred times, I might get here once. Oh, it's, I mean, dude, it's completely, I mean, that's a, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, like an almost an economic thing, but yeah, no one could, I mean, that path is over. Like, no, you can't get that. Like people who come from your sort of educational background that, yeah, they don't get those jobs anymore. 
yeah, they don't exist. Or, I mean, like I just, even something like a summer internship, the begging, borrowing, and stealing required to, to, to get that, even if you'd merited sure. the opportunity, right? And like, and I'll, I'll tell you the other thing about this, like, man, like I look at my colleagues in there, like we, I think sports writers, baseball writers joke like that anyone can do it and whatever. And yeah, and, and to a certain extent, that's true, right? Like a lot more people can write about baseball certainly than can play it, all right? right. But it's also not a thing which is walk through the door and have a spot. Right. Like right. there's only so many spots and in fact, less and less all the time. So it is yeah. hard to get there. It <clears throat> is. It says something about the work you've put in and all that. But when I look at some of my colleagues, I know for a fact they never have to sit there and worry that they are there for anything except for their work product. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. no matter what I do, I'll wonder. Yeah, I will wonder. And I will wonder what people look at when they see me in the same way that you see a waiter, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. You see someone that you can, like, if you're resentful, say, man, that guy's only here because he's brown. Yeah. He caught a break because of whatever factors. Or or I remember one time overhearing colleagues in a newsroom talk about editors getting bonuses for hiring minorities. And I'm like, within earshot. Yeah. And like Andy, I could I'm not going to do it because it's counterproductive, but I could literally spend an hour giving you a story just like that. Hell, I had one 2 days ago. Mm-hmm. So like it just uh, <laughs> I mean, anyway, like it's belaboring the point. I, I just I feel like it, it is just so obvious to me that this exists. I think it's so obvious to a lot of people that this exists that what's most infuriating is this denial, aggressive denial that it exists, which I think is awful. And the only thing that really disheartens me, and it's one of the things that disheartens me about this whole thing. Um, and I hear it at work too, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, how, I mean, I have some theories on how, you know, to change the system, but what do you see as a prescriptive, you know, answer for making so that newsrooms and press boxes more accurately reflect you know, the composition of the country we live in. Do you realize how many pockets of this country aren't covered by news outlets at all? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's not insignificant. In fact, it's rather, and it's only gotten worse. So I come from the Bay Area, but my corner of the Bay Area was covered by a paper that was essentially like a regional paper that had a bureau that they severely understaffed all the time. And, And now it doesn't even exist. So like, and there's, you know, a fairly decent population where I'm from, but they just don't get coverage at all. So if their city council is looting public money, no one's going to know about it. Right. If their police are brutalizing citizens, no one's going to know about it. Yep. And, and, but that doesn't happen in freaking Brooklyn. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Like, you, mm-hmm. just like anything else, like what COVID-19 has ravaged the country, look at the statistics. Who's taking the brunt of that? Right. Well, guess what? When it comes to the news dialogue and having coverage and even being able to be exposed to that, guess which communities are getting hammered on that end too? Mm -hmm. So that's a start, right? Like, I mean, what we do is such a narrow sliver, sports writing. But like, there are like people like me that grow up now, like if you had my situation growing up now, you wouldn't even see a newspaper. You wouldn't right. see any news right. outlet in your right. area, much less like a journalist that looks like you. It doesn't even exist. Right. So huge problem, 
on multiple levels. You can't have a functioning democracy without a populace that understands what's going on. But you know, now we have a populace that isn't being served at all. Right. And, and we've gone backward there, horribly backward there. And so it is this, that, now that becomes the cycle, right? You, you, you don't have coverage in your community, therefore you, you, you can't even possibly know that it exists. I didn't know that there was such a thing as a newspaper internship until I was halfway through college. Right. right. I didn't know that. Right. Meanwhile, there are high school kids I know. Right. If you if you grow up in an area where you're exposed yeah. to these things, they, they've been planning for this for for yeah. way longer than I did. Yeah. And believe me. And now I, I say this like I, I'll never forget this, man. Like one of my first internships is the Boston Globe. I'm walking home from the park with Adam Kilgore, one of my best friends, your friend, too. Uh, tremendous, tremendous journalist. And like is look, that a euphemism what's walking it? home from the park? No, anyway. no, no. We were literally walking. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, that was okay. not a euphemism. Fair right. question. But no, like that, you know, <laughs> cask and flagging was close. Right. In this case, like Sorry. not a euphemism. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're walking back and like and Adam will make it. You know, you talk to Adam about the craft that we do, like you're going to feel bad because Adam's really good. But I remember just <laughs> yeah. like, okay, right, anybody's going to feel bad. But I remember just yeah, walking yeah. like one day and he was t- saying this stuff. And like on paper, we're in the same spot. We were both mm-hmm. interns at a great newspaper with a deep program. Like, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, wonderful opportunity. But my God, like I remember just walking and thinking I am so far behind. And I don't know what to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. working as hard as I possibly can. And you know, you've been there. Like, when you're at that, like, one of my favorite parts about being early in a career doing this was that you know it's hard to break in, but you're so damn desperate, you just do it. And I was there, and, like, I couldn't touch this guy. I couldn't touch him. And, like, yeah, I know that is a talent thing. He's awesome. But right. like I also picked up that some of it wasn't like necessarily that either, right? Like, and that, again, right. that is not in any way me diminishing my friend's great work. Right. It is just acknowledging, like, as a person of color in this country, you come to that reality a lot, a lot. And like for me, I, I honestly just to like so it wouldn't drive me crazy. I learned to turn it off mm-hmm. a lot of times because you kind of have to. I, I mean, at least for me, speaking for myself, I had to turn it off. But man, there's some days mm-hmm. where you can't look away and you're just reminded mm-hmm. like, oh shit, like I got to find a way to catch up. And, and it's, right. it's, I don't know, it's just right. not a good and, feeling. And so. you're, you're catching up with, you're catching up with unearned privilege, essentially. You're catching up with stuff that well, was mean, just not yeah. available to you. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. I remember one thing he said in that conversation is that he had a box of Sports Illustrated's at the house, mm-hmm. dating back to like mm-hmm. some like 1990, and that yeah. whenever he felt like he needed like some inspiration, he'd reach into that box and go read. Yeah. Right. So I yeah. thought back to my house. A, no one in the house read really, right. and what they read was the Daily Racing form because my dad likes horses, and the National Enquirer because my mom loved smut. Okay, right. that was it. If I didn't bring it into the house myself, like uh, I wasn't going to read anything at home. There wasn't like a bookshelf to go into. None of that. All right. So and then on top of it, it's like who's paying for the Sports Illustrated subscription when, you know, my family's got four kids. We're trying to put food on the table and like, you know, my parents aren't making a ton of money. So like 
Mm-hmm. That's not my choice not to read that and get better. I don't even know that it's available. You get right. what I'm saying? Like, uh, then go to the right. library. Well, you know, I was the oldest of four kids. Guess what I did after school? I was babysitting mm-hmm. them. So I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I can't go to the library. I, we don't have like a nanny at home. Right? You get right. what I'm saying? So this is what I'm saying. It's like, and, and there's no individual is at fault for that, is yeah. my point. That is right. just the system in which we are raised. All yeah. right. That we well, are. Think about it this with. way. Think about it this way, right? There's not, it's not a coincidence that, you know, Adam, myself, Jeff Passan, Eli Saslow, Jared Diamond, Matt Gelb, all grew up in relatively similar economic circumstances, all had the box of Sports Illustrated's under our bed that we could use for inspiration and all went to the same college and all became members of the same profession. And I think that you have to really look at it as like, that's not an accident. You know, there's something structural at play here that directs people like this towards this field. And it leads to a homogeneity of, of, appearance but also a homogeneity of thought and it creates gaps in the coverage that are far from close to being filled i think yeah i think that is a great way to put it and i (laughs) you want to hear something this this blew my mind like so talking about this with somebody um you know, who looks like you and is from where you're from, kind of, right? Like, I don't want to name him because, like, that's not the point. There's only so many handsome guys from Philadelphia. <laughs> but yeah. dude goes, and all this time I just thought, there just aren't that many minority applicants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's, and, and look. Yep, that's what I, it is. I say it because, the, and like, that's the thing. A, it was awesome that we can have this conversation. Because I'm not trying to judge that person for thinking that. Like, what else would they sure. think? Like, I mean, you you don't have to think about privilege if, you know, like privilege is not having to think about it, right? Like that, so. Right, Pri- yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Like, privilege so privilege not... is believing in the concept of equality, right? Uh, of, of, yeah. of the idea that everyone's born on the same on the same level and everyone has the same advantages and everyone has the same opportunities. And if you just work hard, you'll get what you deserve, essentially. That, you know, I work hard and, you know, I can, uh, you know, so I, you know, was able to build this life for myself and anyone else who doesn't, you know, isn't working as hard as me. And like I said, it, it gets back to, you know, insecurity. But you're right. I, I am thinking about this more on the, you know, the individual level rather than the, you know, uh, systemic level, because I feel like the systemic level is uh, so vast that uh, I don't know necessarily if two sports writers can really fix it on a podcast. Um, but <laughs> I, I do obviously agree that uh, that is where actual change, you know, will happen. But at the very least, people who look like me and grew up under circumstances like I did can at least think a little more openly and critically and honestly about why they are where they are and what sort of factors led to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there is a lot of things to feel 
upset about uh, right now, but I am encouraged to hear that you've been having more, that people are feeling a little more willing to share their vulnerabilities with you. And I've had some of those same conversations with friends where they've been a little more, um, you know, I think, you know, Levi kind of uh, had an interesting uh, tweet thread the other day where he was talking about how, you know, he feels like he's been shouting about these things for five or six years, which again, like we all recognize five or six years is a drop in the bucket in terms of understanding oppression of, you know, black and brown people in this country. But hey, okay, you know, that wasn't the point. He wasn't beating his chest about this. I'm just uh, offering an unnecessary sort of aside. But anyway, he was saying, you know, I've been kind of talking about this for five or six years, and it's really encouraging to see that uh, a lot of the people or some of the people who five or six years ago were ignoring it or saying it wasn't true or looking away are starting to stare directly at the problem. And I, I frankly was very encouraged to see the way that, you know, someone like Drew Brees was just completely dunked upon yesterday for his utterly ridiculous statement about kneeling for the national anthem. And I think that while I, you know, don't, know that the best corrective is, you know, online denunciation. I do believe that there is some value in, you know, speaking truth to power and, you know, correcting wrongs. And, you know, the way he framed the discussion of what folks were kneeling for, for the national anthem was completely inaccurate. And so I think it was productive to have that corrected quickly. And I, and I, and I don't know if that happens, you know, five to 10 years ago. I don't know if so many athletes are as willing to speak out as they were, you know, yesterday. So I, I take that as, you know, a, a somewhat encouraging note, I guess. Man. Yeah. It doesn't happen five to 10 days ago. That's for sure. Right. Like yeah. just a, seriously, it doesn't. It, yeah. I mean, now look, not, not in, not in, in that swift fashion no, where, no, you know, yeah. And like, so but here's, yeah. this is where, you know, like we're getting to the end. It's actually a good tie back. Like there's a fatigue level yeah. in, in talking about this. And, and I, I just, what I hope is that people respect and, and remember that. And that is not to absolve mistakes or whatever, but look, uh, I think anytime you learn a skill, right, there's going to be fumbling. Um, like mm-hmm. I, I, I play the piano. Um, I have since I was a kid. But if you had me learn a song, it's going to take me a while. I'm going to mess up. I, I just I would hope that, yes, correct the mistake, but let's not berate it. Like if yeah. someone's trying to learn, yeah. and, and yeah. I cannot emphasize this enough because what I feel like is that there's like a woke flexing going on right now where it's like, I'm going to show you how much more aware I am than you are. Mm-hmm. And and if that's the place where this corrective stuff is coming from, then I think it's all wrong. Because yeah. right now, um, in this fight that's going to take a long time against an enemy that is hard to go, to go after, you need every ally you can get. Yeah. And to me, if you're willing to even start, you're an ally. And so those people, yes, like acknowledge that in the learning process it's never linear they're going to be mistakes but that this is almost like training for a marathon right like like if if on day three of training you can't make it 26 miles it does no good to berate that person it does no good what you do pick them up be like hey start over i'm here with you let's go and over time you've built up the stamina to have these conversations the fatigue doesn't hit you as hard anymore and then maybe maybe we start actually moving forward 
which right. that's what I hope more than anything right. else that this moment signifies, not just in our little world, but obviously the whole world, like our country, yeah. our like culture, that we can actually start to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I don't know how much value there is trying to change the minds of people who do not want to have their minds changed. Um, but I do think if people are willing to listen, then if you are trying to change someone's mind, you have to work with them. You have to, you know, try and move them along slowly. And as you said, understand that it's going to, I mean, it's just, it just takes a, it, ta it you know, I, I think about a lot of times just how American history is taught and the things I learned in high school and the way stuff is framed. I mean, just the basic of like, I remember taking AP United States history, you know, the highest level of history course they offered at my high school. And I went to a good public high school, you know, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, all, you know, very well funded, like had, you know, good teachers, caring teachers, blah, 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 like the, the ideal public school environment. And in, in the highest level of American history they offer there, what do you think is the explanation given for the Civil War? Oh, no. Tell me. Tell me. States, states' rights, Mark. No. States' rights. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, I mean, we just fundamentally – that have to unlearn or relearn or open our eyes to understanding the history of this country and the history of, you know, I mean, not to be too big about this, but modern civilization and understanding how economics, economic systems can press on people, how the justice system can press on people, how policing systems can press on people. And it takes a lot of unlearning. I mean, you know, Brandon McCarthy brought this up the other day on Twitter, you know, he, he tweeted a poll about, you know, how many people in, in high school were taught about, um, the, the, uh, black wall street massacre yeah, Tulsa. In, in Tulsa, you know, and it's like, it's a thing we all know about now because the Watchmen or Watchmen, the HBO show is like involves this in the subplot, but no, it's not taught in American history. I mean, the way reconstruction is taught in American history, it's like a two day unit and then you move on, you know, to Teddy Roosevelt. And, you know, it's just the sort of thing that we need to have honest conversations about, you know, the, the <laughs> how we got here. And so that involves a lot of, like I said, you know, unlearning or, or, just actually learning for the first time and hearing, you know, the, what, what actually happened. But that takes, that takes time, man. That, that takes time, but it also, you know, is not something that we can really put off any further because, yeah, I mean, you see it, you see the results of this sort of system um, every day at this point. You know, now that we all have camera phones, then we're able to record what's going on. I mean, you, you see it and you can't look away anymore. Yeah. Well, like, look, I, if you're still listening right through what is obviously a very difficult thing to hear, um, thank you. Because, yeah. you know, people, I've heard this a lot, like, what do you do? How can I help? Well, this is one way you've just done it. You've heard it. You didn't look away. You didn't turn it off. You listened. You tried to process the thoughts. And 
um, you know, hopefully there's uh, a change in the way we're able to talk about this. And, you know, I want to leave off with one thing, and this is, uh, you know, really been uplifting. But uh, Trent Rosecrans, who we've had here before, had a Twitter thread this morning. And he was basically discussing what Andy and I have talked about as far as the composition of the press box. And, and Trent just put it out there for people who might be underrepresented. Reach out to him. Let him be a resource, a way in through the door. Like even just somebody to like bat ideas around of, hey, how do I start in this? And, and Andy, I know you can vouch for this. Knowing Trent, that is not a hollow offer. Okay, yeah. like that's, that's legit. So if you're one of those people and you happen to be hearing this and you didn't see it on Twitter, go look it up. Reach out to Trent and, you know, uh, knowing, knowing him, like that's not the end of it for that dude. Like, it's not. Like my guess is that he's already got a plan to grow that out, expand it, because you know what? He's a decent human being who's listening and he wants to do the right thing. And I believe that's really most of us. That is what I want to believe. It's what I truly believe. I think that is most of us. So I, I don't know. I, I think, Andy, that, that sounds like a good place to leave it off, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate you guys listening and I uh, appreciate you, Mark, you know, being open about this. And, you know, um, if I said something stupid, tell me, you know, I, I, my, my intentions I feel are pretty good here, but also like, like I said, I'm a, I'm a white guy born into incredible privilege and I've been very fortunate to not have to deal with the things that a lot of other people in this country have to deal with. And so, you know, if I said, you know, if I like, uh, <laughs> I'm not so proud to, you know, believe that I have the answers or that I have, you know, that everyone should listen that my perspective has a lot of value or anything like that. I just, you know, I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of making things better. Um, so, but I appreciate everyone listening and I, and I, and I appreciate you, Mark, you know, just being so open and, and sharing with everyone. Cause I think, I think that's helpful. I do. Well, we'll keep talking. We'll talk next week. Everybody be safe. Take care.